0: Why is that so important to kind of break that, the mold that we've been in for the last 150 years in the way we educate K through 12?
1: I think the first thing we have to realize is COVID is not the reason our education system is failing. Right. It was bad before COVID. (laughs) Pre-COVID, 67% of our eighth graders across this country were not proficient in reading or math. Recently it came out over 80% are not proficient in civics or history. And now last week it came out that our 13 year olds are scoring the lowest they've scored in decades in reading and math. The way we first fix that is we have to again get DC out of our state classrooms. We need to push those edu- that educational money down to the states and let the states have better control over what's happening in the classrooms. We need to have transparency in the classroom, no school bureaucrat should be keeping anything from parents or teaching kids something that parents don't want their kids being taught
0: americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so this is american potential and here's your host jeff crank well thank you for joining us i'm so excited about this episode of american potential Uh, we're recording from eric erickson's conference the gathering in Atlanta, Georgia, where there's approximately 1,500 people in attendance. It's just been amazing energy here today. And our next guest started her political career by taking on and beating a 30-year incumbent, probably foreshadowing for the rest of her political career. She immediately took on some big fights on tax cuts and government transparency, Because she stood on principle, she ended up losing her committee assignments. Now, for many, that'd be a career ender. But for Nikki Haley, that was just the beginning. She instead ran for governor of South Carolina, where she became the first minority female governor in America, as well as the youngest. As governor, her administration was able to bring new jobs to every county of the state. She promoted government accountability by having all of the legislature's votes recorded and expanded the charter school system, which provides parents with more educational freedom. Nikki Haley was nominated to be ambassador to the United Nations, where she worked on keeping our country safe and championed human rights. Throughout her tenure, Ambassador Haley has consistently demonstrated her dedication to conservative values, articulating her beliefs with eloquence and poise. I want to welcome Ambassador Nikki Haley to the American Potential podcast. Now, before we begin, I want to make clear that American Potential is a project of Americans for Prosperity. And the fact that we have a presidential candidate on the show does not mean AFP is endorsing that candidate. We've invited and are expecting several candidates to come on to the show, and we're excited to dig in with policy champion Ambassador Nikki Haley. All right, so honored to have you, Ambassador Haley. Thank you for joining us.
1: It's great to be with you.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you just came back from the Iowa State Fair. I need to know what your favorite food was. What was your favorite
1: food? So interestingly enough, when I first got there, you know, in South Carolina, my sister state sure. um, is is Georgia, but they, you know, we do chicken and waffles. Well, they had chicken in waffles on a stick.
0: <laughs> a state so fair classic. And so I had to
1: do it, and it was great. <laughs>
0: was it good? Yeah, it okay, was. all right. I also found out researching you that your birthday is January twentieth. So, if you become the president of the United States, you're sworn in on your birthday. That would be a heck of a birthday present. I would have it not?
1: always. I remember growing up and always paying attention to inaugurations because they happen to always be on my birthday. So yeah, it's, it's a um, blessed day for multiple reasons. And, um, and that is true.
0: Now you have a pretty unique background and a unique story. um, And as a woman and, you know, just, just your background is just really kind of unique, but you also have a Republican base that really doesn't like kind of the identity politics of it. So how do you, How do you sell yourself to a Republican audience, you know, with your great background?
1: I don't think you have to sell what people can see. You know, so I, you know, what I like talking about is the fact that I'm an accountant. I'm not a lawyer. The fact that I'm a military spouse. The fact that I'm a mom. The fact that I'm the daughter of immigrants who came here legally. Um, The fact that, you know... I know how hard it is to make a dollar and how easy it is for government to take it. And so I talk a lot about my life experiences as opposed to things that people can see.
0: Yeah. Um, as, so we, we've just got the debate coming up just a, a day or so here. And I, um, What's your strategy going into the debate? I mean, I'm sure you're ready. I'm sure you're prepared. Have you done, did you do debate prep and all of that stuff? You know, the
1: debate prep for us was the 80 town halls we've done in Iowa (laughs) and New Hampshire. I mean, we literally do town halls and we let them ask any question they want. And... You know, Iowans and Granite Staters have asked the really tough questions. It's the best debate prep I could ever get. Yeah. So we are excited. We're excited that Americans will get to see what their options are on that stage side by side and we're excited about talking about the things that are really going to get America back on track.
0: So no 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 real strategy in it. Do you go into a debate like that thinking, you know, I'm gonna be the I'm going to, I've got this line or I've got this, I mean, anything there?
1: You know, debates, you know, whether it was when I first ran against the longest serving legislator in a primary or whether I ran against five others for governor, I've always gone in and just spoken to the constituents and talked about, um, you know, my experiences and my vision for where I want to go forward. I think that's what the American people want to hear. They don't want to hear anything rehearsed. They don't want to hear anything planned. They just want to see you and they just want to hear you and they just want to build that relationship and trust and know that you can lead the country in a better place. And I'm determined to show them that. Yeah.
0: I want to talk about spending a little bit. Uh, spending obviously out of control in Washington, D.C., now on hyperdrive since COVID. Um, and just, you know, America's headed for a fiscal cliff and, and we all see it. We all know it but nobody is is there to stop it. And it's been Democrats and it's been Republicans. And uh, what, how, how would you be different as I president mean, of the United States?
1: Jeff, you're singing my song. I mean, the, you look at the fact that we're $32 trillion in debt. We are having to borrow money just to make our interest payments. China owns some of that debt. And the idea that we'd all love to say Biden did that to us, but our Republicans did that to us, too. Right. You look at that $2.2 trillion COVID stimulus bill that they passed with no accountability. They expanded welfare that has now left us with 90 million Americans on Medicaid, 42 million Americans on food stamps. And then Republicans had a chance to make it right and they didn't. They opened up earmarks for the first time in 10 right. years, pushing through 7,000 of them. And I just looked at the 2024 budget. Republicans put in their $7.4 billion worth of earmarks. Democrats put in $2.8 wow. So you tell me who the big spenders are.
0: Yeah.
1: All while families are feeling inflation. You've got grocery prices and gas prices are up our basic necessities are expensive you got 1 in 4 Americans can't pay their utility bills 60% of Americans are in credit card debt half of American families can't afford diapers i mean yeah. these are things that are real and you can't have washington insiders who are sitting there spending it like it's like it's not taxpayer money right. and so the first thing i would do is we have to stop the spending. We have to stop the borrowing. We have to eliminate the earmarks, and I will veto any spending bill that doesn't take us back to pre-COVID levels. That's the bare minimum. We need to make sure that I had to balance a budget as governor Every American has to balance a budget in their household. There is no reason Congress shouldn't have to balance a budget. We've got to get back to where we remember the value of a dollar. We've got to get back to an economy that our kids can sit there and say, okay, we can actually have a future with this. Right now, our kids are not going to forgive us for what Washington has done to them. And I'm determined to go in there and bring some sanity back to the fiscal health of our country.
0: Excellent. Well, you know, one of the things that the real premise of this show is to highlight government-imposed barriers, right? So uh, the biggest of those is inflation. The yes. biggest government-imposed barrier right now to the American people is 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 inflation and the bad decisions of the Biden administration. Um, how do we get inflation under control.
1: Well, it was the bad decisions of the Biden administration and our Republicans. So inflation came from that massive infiltration of cash where you paid people to sit on the couch. Right. That's what started it all. So if you look back, the first thing we need to do is understand that the easiest way to start hitting inflation is to become energy independent. Stop demonizing our energy producers and start empowering them. Get the EPA out of the way. We should not be worrying about sagebrush lizards more than when we're worrying about whether Americans can afford their utility bill. So energy independence is important. Stopping the spending and the borrowing is going to be really important. But what I will do as a former governor, I know this, is all of those agencies in D.C., we need to pull those programs and send it to the states. So think healthcare, think education, think benefits, all of think welfare, all of those things. If you send it down to the states, one you reduce the size of the federal government, sure. you save money, but you empower the people in the states. That's what we have to do. That is the biggest way to stop these fiefdoms in Washington. And to make sure that dollars go exactly to where American families need them to go to help them. And that will have the biggest impact we could possibly have on the future of our economy, the future of, you know, states' rights and having the power back in the hands of the people and making sure we leave a stronger country for our children.
0: Yeah. the You, you talked about being governor and the, the, the sort of pushback, federalism, and how— the Washington, particularly under Joe Biden, has tried to accumulate power. The executive has accumulated power from Congress. That needs to be diffused back to states. Congress needs to institute its proper role as well. Your thoughts on that and as a, as a former governor, how you would bring you know, that mindset to Washington and to the White House?
1: It's infuriating. I mean, look at the Inflation Reduction Act. You know, in the name of green energy— Basically, it's Biden telling everyone what to do, how to do it, how to live, and spend a lot of money in the process. That's not what we need to be doing. Freedom, at the end of the day, is what works. This socialism creep that all the Washington politicians are allowing to happen is killing our country. Capitalism has always been the source to lift up the most people in the best way. We have to go back to that. Give companies freedom. Give people freedom. Release those dollars to the states and let the states decide what's in the best interest for the people. But we've got to get this power away from government. That has never worked in the past. It's never worked when we see the Europeans and how they've dealt with it. We can't allow that to happen in America.
0: So you talk about uh, big government, and I would say there's been a lot of Republicans who look at, or even conservatives who look at what's going on and they say, well, you know, we need tariffs or we need to, you know, kind of fight uh, them with more government. Free speech is a great example. If if somebody's free speech is in, infringed upon, it shouldn't be our natural reaction to infringe on other people's free speech. Can we defend conservatism and and smaller government still in america
1: we should defend conservatism and smaller government government was intended to secure the rights and the freedoms of the people it was never meant to be all things to all people it's the mindset of the washington politicians that have done that and what that has done is made us less safe so the focus should always be on getting government out of the way allowing the economy to work trading with countries that are free, that are allies, that want to trade back with us. We need to start focusing on that. It doesn't mean we become more isolated. It means we become more free. There's a difference between isolation and freedom. And I think that's the part that I think the Washington politicians haven't, haven't understood. That's the part that Biden is trying to control. If you notice, Biden is truly trying to control what people think, how they spend, how they live, all of that. Well, we've seen that work in other countries, and socialism never works. It is the first way to start killing an economy, and that's what we've seen Biden do to us.
0: How do we, uh, how do we grow and build the conservative movement in America? You know, Ronald Reagan was so good at, at doing that, and he had a plain-spoken way of kind of describing why big government was bad. How do we do that and build that conservative movement?
1: Understand that Republicans have lost the last seven out of eight popular votes for president. That's nothing to be proud of. We should want to win the majority of Americans. And you don't win the majority of Americans by pushing them away. You win the majority of Americans by bringing them in. And you don't say you should be with us. You say, what do you care about? Yeah. And conservatives have the solutions to lift up everybody, not a select few. But we have to have the ability to communicate that in a way. You know, you ask them what they care about. Guess what? They all care about their kids' education. They all care about their children having opportunities that we didn't have. They all want a safe America that's strong abroad. And so it's really has to go to the Republican Party has started to divide off people. That's never a winning Solution: We need to bring people in, whether it's Hispanics, whether it's Asians, whether it's women, whether it's the younger generation, whether it's African Americans. That's how not only will we bring our country together, but we'll get our conservative message out there stronger.
0: Yeah, there's a couple other topics I wanted to talk, and we don't have much time. But uh, you know, educational freedom. I know when you were governor, that was a, a top priority. Uh, since COVID, we've really seen this acceleration in the states of education savings accounts passing and that. Why is that so important to kind of break that the mold that we've been in for the last 150 years in the way we educate K-12? through 12?
1: I think the first thing we have to realize is COVID is not the reason our education system is failing. Right. <laughs> It was bad before COVID. Pre-COVID, 67% of our eighth graders across this country were not proficient in reading or math. Recently, it came out over 80% are not proficient in civics or history. And now last week, it came out that our 13-year-olds are scoring the lowest they've scored in decades in reading and math. The way we first fix that is we have to, again, get DC out of our state classrooms we need to push those edu- that educational money down to the states and let the states have better control over what's happening in the classrooms we need to have transparency in the classroom no school bureaucrat should be keeping anything from parents or teaching kids something that parents don't want their kids being taught and then we have to allow the fact that parents decide which schools their kids go to Every child deserves a good education, regardless of where they're born and raised. No child should be mandated by a zip code. And so we have to change that as well. And so if you look at... I think we need to bring vocational classes back to our high schools. Well, the vocational classes would be different in South Carolina than they would be in Iowa. That's why those education dollars need to be down in the states where they can decide how best to handle their citizens. And so we've got a lot of work to do in education. First thing is get the the teachers unions out of the classroom. Stop with all the crazy ideology that they're trying to pass. And remember, it's about math, reading, history, and science, and making sure our kids understand what it takes to be successful. That's what we need to be focusing on.
0: Uh, One final question for you, and it's just what's your message to voters as as you're traveling this country? I'm sure you're meeting lots of folks. You talked about the Iowa Fair, a great place to meet people and and voters. But what's your message to voters?
1: My message is not what Biden and Harris say when they say that America is a racist country, because I was elected the first female minority governor in history. America is not a racist country. We are a blessed country. The message is going into socialism and the socialism Creep is not the answer to what we need to be doing. Capitalism is the answer to what we need to be doing. And the message is don't let our enemies, you know, have their way with us. A strong America and a strong military doesn't start wars. A strong military prevents wars. I am an accountant, not a lawyer. I have been a two-term governor that took a double-digit unemployment state and turned it into an economic powerhouse. I was at the United Nations. I negotiated across the table, not with one country, but with 193 countries. I know what it takes to get our country back on track. I know what it takes to downsize the, the size of the federal government and empower the states. And I know what it takes to get the American families to feel like government's working for them and not the other way around. And we're determined to make that that position known, and earn the support of every American.
0: Amazing. All right, Ambassador Nikki Haley, thank you for taking some time out and joining us today.
1: Absolutely. Go to NikkiHaley.com and join us.
0: All right. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. much. I appreciate it. You bet. It's been so great being here at the gathering in Atlanta, Georgia, and getting to interview so many presidential candidates. Uh, Vice President Mike Pence... Nikki Haley, Ambassador Nikki Haley. It's just been uh, really incredible. A lot of energy here and a lot of people here who understand the need to get rid of Bidenomics and the the damage that these bad government policies are doing to the American people. And uh, it's just imperative that we end that uh, bad administration and uh, some of the terrible policies that they're doing. And what a what a compelling candidacy by Ambassador Nikki Haley. It was great to talk with her. And again, we hope that all of the uh, all of the candidates will join us on American Potential. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting americanpotential.com.